What is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. We have some rowdy people in the house on Easter Sunday, and we're doing it. I, I'm so blessed that you are in church, and could I have everybody here at our Northtown campus just welcome everybody joining us at our Westside campus, Maple Grove, downtown Minneapolis, Monterey, Mexico. We love doing church with you. And of course, if we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter. Um, my wife and I uh, started this whole church a while back. And, and really, our, our hope was just, we just wanted to create a place where people could explore their faith and, and, and actually even be skeptical. I love skeptics. I believe God does too. And uh, of course, uh, today is extra fun because it is Easter Sunday, which is the, the, the Sunday we celebrate Christ rising from the dead in the scriptures. It's kind of actually a dramatic set of passages uh, where, where Christ is constantly just surprising his disciples, right? I, and I kind of love a lot of the Easter stories because, you know, Jesus is like walking through walls. He's just like showing up. On, he's, he's just showing up to random disciples at random moments, freaking them out. I would love to be with resurrected Jesus, like, watch this one. This is really going to be funny. And then just like, you know, like doing stuff like that. In fact, actually, it says that over a period of 40 days, Acts chapter one, verse three, Jesus gave many convincing proof that he was alive. So he's randomly showing up over the course of 40 days, just like, boom, I'm still here. And they're like, you know, literally freaking them out. One time he even ate fish to prove to them that he was like physically there, you know what I'm saying? Which, which on a side note, if you were wondering if resurrection bodies eat food, praise God. So you, were, you, you thought you would be floating around on, on clouds like a disembodied spirit? No, you're gonna be eating that burrito still. Some of you, you're like, wow, I didn't know that, right? Yeah, just, I'm just saying, you can just look at the scriptures. But I, I love this, okay? He gave many convincing proofs. Why? What does that say about God? What does that say about Jesus? It says that Jesus cared about skeptics. He cares about people that are like, I don't know about this. He went out of his way to give proof. In fact, the Apostle Paul mentions that Christ appeared to over 500 people as the resurrected Christ in front of a big group, okay? So this is kind of a big group. Why would Jesus do that? Because he wanted everybody to realize it's real. These are not just stories. I am out and about and we're just getting started. You know what I'm saying? In fact, in, in why? Why did Jesus give proof? Because he wanted to prove there is an afterlife, there's more to this world than maybe you currently understand, and we have the option to be with God, and I paid the price, and all sorts of good things, right? And I, I, find, I find it interesting, though, that there's still a lot of people who struggle with this concept of an afterlife. I had... Uh, I've got a lot of different atheist friends, and one of them would always be like, Peter, every single time you talk about the afterlife, it just sounds absurd. And I'm like, why? Your entire existence is absurd. Look at you. You know what I'm saying? Like, like come on. Like, for, I mean, really, think about it. Existence is absurd. Here we are. It's like, boom. And like, like, and even the people that are open to the idea of the afterlife, they still think, well, I don't know if I want to think about it. I got plenty of time to think about it. But man, listen, there's so much interesting evidence that suggests that we should really be exploring our faith more. And let me give you some. Many of you guys know um, I'm kind of obsessed with studying near-death experiences. They're called NDEs, uh, near-death experiences. If, if you don't know what that is, basically... Uh, 
people who have medically died and then against all odds, they were somehow revived and they've got crazy stories to tell. Well, there's literally millions of these and so I collect them. I mean, I, I buy crates of books of this. My wife gets irritated because like every single week I get like five new books and she's like, where are you gonna put these, Peter? Like, really? Um, but but I, I, I'm obsessed with them. I, I just, I think they're so interesting to read. And of course, back in, back in 2015, BBC News did a documentary on, on near-death experiences, and they did an interview with a woman by the name of Vicky who was blind from birth. And of course, she had gotten into this terrible car accident where she was essentially, essentially decapitated, like 80%. Like, I mean, really, really dead, right? And, and she claimed that as her body was being wheeled into the ER, that she was floating above her body. And what made it unique is that she claimed to have a visual experience. And remember, she was blind since birth, okay? So, uh, you know, for her to have a visual experience, she was able to describe all sorts of things that would have been impossible for her to describe had there not been some sort of conscious existence outside of her body, okay? So, so she, and, and then in the midst of this, this experience, she claimed to have an encounter with Jesus where Jesus showed up and explained to her that it was not her time to go to heaven yet. And of course, eventually she woke up back in her body. She faced a long, hard recovery, but she also had this really, really clear sense of purpose because she had seen things, literally, pardon the expression. She had, she, she had experienced things that changed everything for her, and she was gonna naturally tell people about it. And of course, BBC News was doing an entire like expose of this story explaining it, and it was fascinating to hear all these researchers interviewing her. But I, I share that because her story kind of reminds me of one of the Easter passages in Matthew 27, 51, right when Jesus died, the Bible says, like all the soldiers standing around were freaking out saying, surely he is the son of God. Because, and here's why. Because the moment Jesus died, it says the earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. What? Like how we, I mean come on, you gotta admit, that's weird, that is weird stuff. I mean this is like horror movie stuff. Don't you love it? <laughs> I mean like this is, I mean, why, why? Like, why, like, I, I was scratching my head when I first read this. Why would Jesus raise a bunch of other random people from the dead? Like, I wonder, like, how he chose them. You know what I'm saying? Like, some of them, that really weird neighbor of yours, all of a sudden, surprise, hey, let's do some grilling. You know, like, what are you doing for Easter? You know, like, I, like I, it probably didn't work that way. But you know what I'm saying? Like, why would Jesus raise a bunch of random people from the dead and have them go into Jerusalem and, and freak people out? Well, once again, 
Jesus gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, right? In other words, he's into proving things. He knows that there's going to be skeptics. He knows there's going to be people that are like, I don't know. And so if he's got to raise a few additional people from the dead to prove that he has the power over life and death, then so be it. And hey, why not throw in an extra earthquake to be dramatic, right? Come on, people say the Bible is boring. No, you're boring. You're reading the wrong passages. I'm just saying, we serve this crazy, exciting God who wants to do so many things. He wants to show himself in dramatic ways. In fact, even a, a secular scholar said that there were, there were uh, evidences of an earthquake at that exact moment when Jesus died. So just with all that in mind, okay, let's go back to that BBC interview that I talked about, the BBC News interview of the blind woman who encountered Jesus now, what made Vicky's near-death experience so interesting to medical researchers was the fact that because she was blind since birth, she was able to, and then she had this visual experience, she was able to verify all sorts of details that would have been otherwise impossible. In fact, actually, one of the medical doctors put, put together an entire study of, of people who had NDEs that were blind from birth that had a similar experience to her. And, and what they wanted to do is, because she could, she could describe all sorts of things, they wanted to go and verify that these things actually happened that, to back up her claims. That's what made it so interesting. And believe it or not, there's it literally started an entire genre of near-death experiences. There's hundreds of near-death experiences where people would have verifiable details, some of whom these details came from people that were completely brain dead and had the scans to even show it. Because for a while, skeptics were like, I don't know. I think that's the, the brain just hallucinating, the you know electrical things firing where they're having just really elaborate dreams. Well, some of these people were brain dead. And then others of these people, they would have, like for example, one guy, he claimed to be floating about, he came into the ER dead on arrival, okay? So no heartbeat. They were just trying to revive him as he came into the emergency room. He claimed to be floating above his own body as his body came into the hospital. But what was weird is he also claimed to start floating around the hospital. He said he, he, his, his, he just started floating down hallways and into all sorts of private rooms. And he started listening to all sorts of private conversations that were going on hundreds of yards away from his body. And of course, near-death researchers, you know, at first they were like, yeah, right, like that really happened. And he goes, oh no, this is exactly what, in this room they were having this conversation and they were talking about, and he gave all sorts of details. And so all these near-death researchers were like, well, hey, we can actually verify if those conversations happened. We can actually go to the hospital, find out who was in the hospital that day and actually go room for room and ask them if that is in fact the conversation you were having. And so they did that, okay? And, and sure enough, they verified all, all these conversations happened and it's started freaking them out to the point where they started making a category of authenticatable experiences like these, things that they could verify when people were floating out of their bodies, you know, how, if they could find out details of like what private conversations, things that happened in rooms that nobody else would know, if they could verify if these things actually happened. And sure enough, there are so many authenticatable NDE experiences like this that there are now over 900 scholarly articles about cases like these that are published in peer-reviewed medical journals. Okay, and if you're curious about more of these, you're like, oh, you know, I'd love to hear more. About four years ago, I preached a message called the scientific case 
for the afterlife. I go way more into detail than I uh, am doing right here and now. Um, but if you're, if you're out there, just Google Substance Church plus tough questions. Actually, we have an entire landing page on our website at substancechurch.com. Uh, of all of the toughest questions that a lot of my atheist friends have asked me over the years about Christianity, because I, I really do believe that, that God loves to give proof, okay? I, I believe God gave us a brain so that we would use it, not so that we would defy your, I mean, the, the presence of faith is not the, the, is not the opposite of using your brain, okay? I actually believe that real faith requires your brain. And so if you're interested in some of these questions, just go to that page and you can actually listen to the whole message, Scientific Case for the Afterlife, because I, I go 10 times deeper into all of the debates and, and, and the skeptical questions about near-death ex experiences. But my point here today, if I could just summarize it like this, there's, there's enough evidence to suggest that at the very least, you and I should give some serious thought to this idea of consciousness after death, at least as it's currently defined in, in the medical world. And I, I think one of my favorite case studies is about a 27-year-old woman by the name of Betty Malls. Uh, this experience happened when she was 27 years old and she happened to rupture her appendix on vacation. And of course, nobody wants to rupture their appendix, especially not on vacation, right? But, uh, you know, so she, she resisted going into the hospital, and yet the pain was getting so bad, it, it was almost, it was debilitating, and yet she also had this massive distrust and distaste for hospitals and for doctors. And so she just did not want to go in. She refused to go in for over 11 days after her appendix ruptured. And um, as a result, she ended up going into septic shock. All of her organs got infected. All of her organs started shutting down. And this began, a six, began six long weeks of fighting for her life in the hospital. I mean, infections everywhere in her body. She actually had to go through four different rounds of surgery. They had to keep her body open um, just to get rid of the infections. Uh, her heart continually uh, kept stopping. They had to jump it multiple times. And of course, the doctors finally got to the point where they were honest with their family. They're like, she's definitely not gonna make it. She is so unhealthy. Uh, we give her days at best. And of course, Betty's father happened to be a pastor. And of course, the whole family was already exhausted after six, going on seven long weeks at the hospital. Uh, and, and it was kind of a big drive to get into the hospital. So you know, one morning her father suddenly woke up at, at like 3.30 a.m., I mean, basically middle of the night, right, and had this super strong impression, just woke up out of a dead sleep, Betty needs you, you need to get into the hospital, you need to get into the hospital now. And so, you know, he, he's not used to having like impressions like this in the middle of the night, he felt like this was like a dramatic you know, almost divine sense that he had. And so he thought, I have to get dressed. I need to go in now. And he told his wife, I gotta go in. Betty needs me. I just know it. I just know it. So he quickly got dressed and started the 45-minute the drive into the hospital. Well, get this. Okay, so right after he left the house, got in his car, started driving, immediately after he left, the nurses came into Betty's room and discovered her, she was completely dead. Her organs had shut down, her heart had stopped, uh, no breathing, and, and keep in mind, this was not an unexpected death for the hospital, because again, they had been resuscitating her multiple times, 
And so they called in the doctor, verified everything, no heartbeat, no breath, brain dead. Um, They declared her time of death. Um, The doctor ordered that they detach all the life support systems and just leave her in bed until the husband or the parents arrive, but make sure they notify them. So the, the nurses started detaching all the life support systems. They called up the family members. They missed the dad, because the dad had just left, and so they called the mom and said, hey, yeah, Betty died, I'm so sorry. Uh, called the husband, uh, your wife has died. And, uh, but the dad was, was driving in, and, and keep in mind, this was, this was before cell phones, and so he didn't get the, he didn't get the call. Okay, so uh, the, the doctor basically says, I want you to take all of the life support systems out. There's probably gonna be a lot of family members in here saying goodbye, so let's just make extra room. And so they detached it, pulled the sheet over her head and, and just said, just leave the body in there until the family gets here and then we'll make the decision later on in the day uh, where, to, where to put her body. And so the dad, you know, he missed the phone call, so he's still thinking Betty's alive. He's still in a hurry to get to her, right? So when he arrives, he showed up. He didn't know that she had already been dead for over a half hour, okay? So he, he got to the hospital hallway, and he immediately noticed things are different. Things are off. Like, Betty's room is dark. Like, her door was mysteriously closed, which, you know, never happened because the nurses always wanted to be walking in and out to be able to check on her. So, I mean, in the last seven weeks, he's never seen the door closed, and he's like, what the heck? And so then he, he opens up the door, and he turns on the light, and all of the life support systems are gone. It was like the room was almost empty, and then he's like, what the heck is going on? Did they, like, move her into another room? And then he looks over at the bed, and he realizes, oh, no, there's a body there. Oh, no, the sheet is over her head. And immediately he put two and two together and just started weeping. And, of course, the only thing he could think of to say when he ran up to Betty's body, he just cried out Jesus three times. Jesus, 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 my daughter. What happened? Now, it's even more fascinating to hear the story from Betty's point of view because at that exact moment, Betty claimed that she had departed from her body and she just suddenly woke up in this gorgeous heavenly place. She was standing on this giant hill covered in the most green grass she'd ever seen. I mean, it was like, it was bizarre grass, like grass you'd step on it and then it would just like spring back up and it was like grass that was almost like alive and moving. It was almost bizarre to her and she was just captivated by shrubs and by flowers, flowers unlike anything she had ever seen on earth. And, and then that's when she realized, wow, I feel so alive, the air, the mind, just everything. And I've never been this alive in my life. And all of a sudden, that's when it hit her. Oh, I died. Like, am I, am I, like, I, did I just die? Because I feel really awesome right now. Like, she's, she's kind of having this moment, like, what? Like, this is crazy. And, and she just knew in her heart, I am supposed to walk up this hill, this, this like mountain type hill, and just start walking in that direction. So she just started walking in this direction. All of a sudden she realized there's like these angelic figures that are standing around her. And these angels, they, they, were, they were strangers, and yet she could communicate with them without talking, and she, she knew they were friendly. She knew that they had actually been around her for a lot longer than she, maybe even on earth throughout her life, and, and they were there to help. And so 
right when she got to the top of the hill, she saw this giant palatial structure that looked almost like a castle, but with no uh, towers or turrets, but it had a giant stone wall that went in different directions as far as she could see. And, And this wall was made out of these exotic stones, made out of like gems. And, and, and keep in mind, um, Betty had been working at a jewelry store up until this accident, and so she was actually able to identify a lot of these exotic stones. In fact, she was kind of mesmerized by a lot of the stones in this wall. She's like, ooh, that one's an emerald. That's an emerald. Okay. Oh, that is an onyx. Like, she's kind of going through all of her knowledge of, uh, of gems, and, 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 and of course, she described it as though, like, the, the gems that were glowing, it was like light was pouring through. It was almost like disco stones, and she thought, how bizarre is this? Like, wow, like, they're like light bulbs, and, and uh, they were glowing. Light was pour- pouring through. She almost tried to, like, see if she could see through the, the stone walls. She could almost see it. And, of course, that's when she noticed right above her head, she, she all of a sudden saw this yellowish stone, and she goes, oh, that is topaz. And then she said out loud, it's the November birthstone. And she kind of looks and like, oh, my gosh, I said that out loud to these angels. They're probably thinking, you're really weird, you know what I'm saying? Like the November birthstone, and because her birthday was in November, you have to understand. She knew all the birthstones for each of the months and, and all of that kind of stuff, and so she said it out loud, that's topaz. And of course, then the angel comes up behind her and she noticed, she suddenly noticed this giant pearlish like gate that was gothic and, and the angel put his hand on it and it like melted away. It was like really bizarre, almost like the pearl somehow turned into liquid and then it just disappeared and all of a sudden she could see inside of this, this gorgeous city. She immediately saw these like goldish like glass roads that just kind of went on and she was like just awestruck by the beauty and she could hear singing that was unlike any sort of music she had ever heard in her entire life and she just wanted to join in on the song and then all of a sudden, off in the distance, there he was, it looked like Jesus and immediately she just wanted to go running to Jesus. She just wanted to run, fall at his feet, start singing and and, and that's when all of a sudden, off in the distance, she heard her father yell the word Jesus three times. And of course, she, she thought to herself, oh, I should probably go back and, and help my dad. And then she thought, I don't want to do that. This is awesome. I want to go in the city. And so uh, she, she felt like almost torn between, should I go help my dad? And, and she finally, she knew it was not her time to go in. She looks at the angel and they communicated, yeah, it's not your time to go in. You're probably supposed to go back and talk to your dad. And, and of course, she was like, no. Next thing you know, she all of a sudden, she knew I'm supposed to walk back down the hill. Next thing you know, she's flying through this wormhole and she started hang gliding back over the city of Terre Haute, Indiana, where she, the hospital where she was. And she was looking at all the people on the streets. She could describe the people that were walking on the streets because she's hang gliding over the city and she's going right back to the hospital uh, where her body was. And of course, she said she just went right through the floors, right back through into her actual hospital room. And as she got into the hospital room, all of a sudden, all of these dust particles emerged out of nowhere and started formulating like glitter in the sky and it's, it suddenly formed a sentence and she started reading the sentence and this is what she read, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me 
will live though they die. And of course, what she was seeing in, this, in, the, in the sky across the room out of these dust particles was John eleven twenty five. Those of you who, who know the Bible story, Jesus actually raised a man from the dead by the name of Lazarus. And right before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he, he said to the, the siblings of Lazarus, to Mary and Martha, he said, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And of course, then he raised Lazarus from the dead, freaked everybody out. And uh, most people don't know in church history, Lazarus ended up becoming a missionary. And, uh, and it's what Jesus said to them right before he raised him from the dead. And of course, she saw these words, that, that Bible verse, up in, in the hospital room. And so right when she was, gonna, she was gonna put her hand and touch the words, when all of a sudden her hand came forward and she felt a sheet and, and it just pulled off of her body and she realized I'm back in my body and suddenly she sat up, totally healed and freaked the living daylights out of her dad. I mean, he's standing at the end of her bed and all of a sudden she comes up right out of her sheet. And like, I mean, he freaked. He was, I mean, he... Uh, like, he's like, are you playing a joke? I'm like, what is happening? And, and he didn't even know what to say. He, and she, she's kind of shocked because she's like right back in her body, like what the heck was the sheet doing over my head? And this is the first time she sat up in weeks, okay? Probably over a month. First time she sat up in over a month. All of a sudden, one of the nurses walks by and freaked out. I mean, like, oh, no, what, what? What? Like, she immediately ran to the doctor like, oh no, this is crazy. She's telling the other nurse, get the, get the life support system back in that room, right? She's thinking malpractice, right? Lawsuit. <laughs> and, and, and so they all, the nurses are now, are frantic. They're, they're bringing the machinery back in and trying to get her IV back in, trying to put her connect her to the life support, right? And they're like, and and of course, Betty is like, no, 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 I don't need it. I don't don't need the life support system, if you haven't noticed, (laughs) right? I just came back from the debt, right? I feel great. She actually was like, I want some real food. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten real food in like a month. And of course, the nurses, they were like, no, 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 you have to get back on the life support system. And and she's like, do you look at me? I'm healed. And of course, the, even the doctors, they came in and they're, they're like, oh my gosh, what, how? How is this even possible? And in fact, it actually took several days before the doctors could believe that she was actually healed. They just, they couldn't understand. How, how did she go from being completely dead to now sitting up and eating steak? And she wasn't even supposed to be eating that, right? So she, uh, and, and of course, Betty Malls' book actually goes into a lot more details. Now again, I, 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 I would only recommend uh, so th- this version of the book, My Glimpse of Eternity, I encourage you guys, if you haven't uh, read it, go ahead and get it. I-, I literally have hundreds of books. This is probably one of my favorites, uh, at least one of my top 10, if I could say that. Um, but my favorite part of the story actually comes after she got home, okay? You see, as she was processing the whole experience, I think like a lot of experiences like these, you start to wonder in your head, like, did that even happen? Like, first time I ever saw a miracle, an undeniable miracle. 
I started doubting it probably a couple weeks later. Like, did that really happen? Like, how, how, how did that happen? Because, you know, again, it's, it's outside of the normal order of things. And she started wondering, like, what in the world? Naturally, she started reading her Bible a little bit more, right? Which shock her, right? But all of a sudden, she came upon a passage in Revelation 21, 19 that absolutely rattled her, her and here's why. Because in Revelation 21, it describes a walled city in heaven, and the walls were filled with gems, and this city, according to the Bible, is going to descend upon the earth after Christ returns. And I want to read that passage to you, Revelation 21, 19 through 21. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone, the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were the twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl, the great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass, Revelation 21, 19 through 21. This was a passage she had never read before. She didn't even know it existed in the Bible. I mean, come on, heck, most pastors are not going to preach on this passage because nobody wants to hear about a whole bunch of rocks nobody's ever heard of before. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, like, again, she had never heard of this, didn't even know the Bible verse existed at all. And she just immediately, her brain, she started remembering all sorts of details. And, and if you do the math, topaz, which is, you know, the November birthstone, uh, it was, was ninth off the ground, right? If you just even did math, like, calculated about estimated maybe one foot per, per stone, would have been right where Betty saw it, about three feet above her head, and she immediately is freaking out, thinking, like, oh my gosh, it is exactly how I saw it. And, and she started, like, it, it was a moment for her, because all of a sudden, she's like, I didn't just hallucinate it. I didn't just imagine it. It, it was real. I did visit God in heaven. It, it was something that actually happened to me. And, and just real quick side note, by the way, you know, back in 1912, there was a, a German physicist may, uh, named Max van Laue who discovered something called cross-polarized light, okay? And, and basically, it's the closest thing to pure light as, you know, we can make here. And, and, and I realize that what I'm telling you sounds really random, but just stick with me, okay? Because, you know, some of you are like, is this one of those ADD moments for Pastor Peter? Yeah, well, I promise you it's not, okay? So just stick with me. Um, um, this discovery of cross-polarized light from this physicist resulted in all sorts of crazy breakthroughs in mineralogy, the study of, of crystals and minerals, okay? Because scientists found that with this light, this cross-polarized light, if you blast rocks with it, all of a sudden, a lot of these rocks will literally glow, revealing all sorts of crazy colors that they didn't even know existed. It's almost like uh, they discovered using this light that all these rocks, you can almost turn them on like a Christmas light, like a light bulb. And all of a sudden, boom, you're, you're seeing things we never saw before. I mean, how cool is God? I'm just saying. Okay, so get this. So there, there's these gemstones that, like, for example, emerald, you normally think of it as green, but when you blast it with cross-polarized light, it lights up like a disco ball, right? It's like so bizarre, okay? So geologists, when they started 
you know, once they, they figured this out, they started shining this light into all sorts of rocks. They were like, let's get every rock out there and just light it up, you know? And so I'm sure they weren't like that excited about it, but I, I you know, this is my version of it. Okay, so just relax. And so geologists started expanding out two huge categories of rocks. They call them anisotropic, minerals that glow under pure light, versus isotropic, uh, minerals that don't, okay? So, and guess what? All 12 of the gems here uh, in Revelation happen to be anisotropic. Like, what are the odds? They glow in the light, and uh, I mean, come on, our God likes to light things up. People ask me, why do you have an LED wall? Because it's our God. <laughs> okay, now here's where things get really crazy, okay? There are about 28 gemstones that are considered popular if you get into jewelry. Uh, there's about 22 or 28 gemstones that are particularly popular, but as it turns out, only about 16 of those 28 most popular, only about 16 are anisotropic, okay, if you use these categories of the ones that glow in pure light, okay? And, and there was one scholar who, was, who, was, who came upon that verse in Revelation, you know, because they're really obscure uh, stones, and he immediately was like, wow, like what are the odds of all of these stones in Revelation that they're anisotropic? He kept thinking, what are the odds of all the stones in this walled city all being this unique type of rock, especially being that this book was written thousands of years before we even discovered 99% of them. I mean, like, seriously, how, like, how would John, who wrote Revelation, or any ancient person who was, you know, up seeing this, how would they have known to even chosen those rocks? I mean, you know, for most of human history, we didn't even know these stones existed, and yet God's city of light is somehow, you know, they picked all 12, happened to be this this unique type of stone, right? What are the odds, is what he was asking, and I'm sure it's the question that you're asking. What are the odds? Well, I, I'm glad you asked, because here they are. The odds of a person randomly guessing or assembling 12 of those, uh, if, you, if you were to take all the, the 28 most popular and just say, I want you to pick out 12 and that are just at random, that you think are all in one category, the odds of a person randomly guessing all 12 anisotropic stones would be one in 16,715. In other words, it's, it's not random. The, the idea that the Bible has a walled city with 12 anisotropic stones, it's just improbable. It's just evidence of Really, at the very least, it's evidence of the uniqueness of Scripture. And I, I just, I love pointing this out because, come on, there are all sorts of hidden gems in the Bible. <laughs> See what I did there? Did you like that? That was like dad jokes. My kids are, are dying right now. But you, no, for real, I, I think there are hidden gems in the Bible. I think God is, is constantly hiding in plain sight. And if we would just stop and just dig a little deeper and just see a little further, all of a sudden, we're gonna see evidence of God everywhere around us. And I'm just simply sharing these types of things because I, I just wanna simply make the suggestion and ask you the question, what if the Bible is true? Just that simple question, what if God is hiding in plain sight and he wants to reveal himself to you and I the same way he did to the apostles? If you and I would simply stop 
and, and, and do some of that thought process. Do the math, explore our faith. I, I'm just telling you, I think you and I are gonna encounter all sorts of crazy, miraculous things. And here's the deal. I'm not expecting you to accept all of these claims that I'm sharing with you uncritically. In fact, I expect you to go and research these things. I encourage you to go research these things. But at the very least, what I'm trying to do is persuade you on this great weekend to just simply explore your faith a little bit more. And the sheer enormity of stories like the ones that I'm telling you should at the very least compel you to ask the question, what if? What if there is an afterlife? What if Jesus really did pave the way for that afterlife? And what if everything the Bible has mentioned all along is true? And here's why it matters. You see, if the afterlife exists, guess what? It naturally changes everything. It changes how we think about death. It removes a lot of the fear from death. It also changes how we grieve the loss of family members. It, it, really, a lot of the tragedies in our lives might actually be quite triumphant when you understand, oh, there's an afterlife. In, fa in fact, it'll change how you manage money if the afterlife is real and if heaven is real. It'll change how you parent. It'll even, heck, when I think about heaven, it even changes the type of movies that I experience right here on earth. Right, because I want to live differently. I want to prep for it. I want to save for it. If I, if you truly believed in heaven, that you're going to have an eternal vocation, that there's actually going to be a physical place that's going to be similar to now, but ten times more amazing. Guess what? It's going to change the way you live your life. It's going to increase your motivation, your generosity, your joyfulness. Guess what? It's going to change everything. You see, I mean, think about it. If you knew that you were about to sit on a tropical beach the day after tomorrow, guess what? Some of you, you would start changing your joy a little bit. You'd be like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? The, the, the coolest part in all of this is that the Bible essentially teaches one of the messages of Christ is that we don't need to wait until heaven to start experiencing its benefits. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. It's literally invading. Jesus said since the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven is literally breaking forth onto earth. And those who have faith can start living by the realities of that age to come, which means you and I can start experiencing miracles. That's why Jesus, whenever he preached, he always healed. He wanted the demonstration of heaven to be present along with belief in heaven. You see, you and I, when we have faith in God, we can start pulling heaven right down to earth simply by placing our faith in Jesus. And don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that God always does what I want in the timeline I want it, because at the end of the day, God is God and we're not, okay? Some things we're just gonna have to trust him for, and sometimes God takes his sweet time when it comes to certain things. But at the end of the day, that's why the Apostle Paul said, hey, when you and I place faith in God, there is incomparably great power for us who believe, Ephesians 1, 19. And so where, where, did, where do you need God's resurrection power today? Maybe it's in your family, maybe it's in your finances, your physical body, I don't know. But I think one of the best ways you and I could celebrate Easter Sunday is just by placing our faith into God's hands, even just whatever little bit you got, and maybe you're, you're skeptical and you're like, I don't have a whole lot of faith. That's okay. You just give God what you got. And I believe that God is going to show up and do miracles in many of your lives today. In fact, actually, one of the things that I wanted to end with today is, is as you came into church today, every one of you got a little connection card. I want to pull it out. In fact, if you have it under your seat, why don't you just quickly grab it and just wave it around. Let me see it. Um, this little connection card on the back side, it has prayer requests. I really believe that God wants to do miracles in your life. 
He wants to do a miracle in your life. We have entire prayer teams that are gonna be praying over these things. And if you could use a miracle, I want you to fill it out. And, and if you're watching online, here's what I wanna do is, is, is actually there's a QR code uh, that you can just hold up your, your phone to it. Just open up your camera and just, you know, like you're gonna take a picture of me. And uh, I'll pose here for you. And uh, just, just scan the QR code. It'll take you to the digital version of this. Now, I wanna point this out because at the bottom of this connection card, you're gonna see uh, four little boxes, A, B, C, and D. Four little things you can either tick it or you can just, with your pen right here in person, uh, just check it off. Um, these, let me explain these. These four little boxes represent a simple question I wanna ask you, and it's this. A, it's, it's where do you stand in your relationship with the Lord? A stands for I am already in a relationship with Jesus. A stands for already. You're already a believer. You're already a Christian. You already made the decision to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You've already got a strong relationship with his church, with his word. If that's you, then I want you to check that first box. If you're here and you're like, I don't have that relationship, but I, I know I want to start it. Or maybe you did way in the past, but you know you haven't been living it. And you're like, you know what, I wanna either restart or I wanna begin that relationship. B stands for I wanna begin it uh, today. And you're here and you're like, I wanna take that step towards God. I believe that by checking the B box that God's gonna reset your soul and you're gonna start experiencing God's resurrection power in your life today. And C stands for, I'm not, maybe you're here and you're like, I'm not fully there yet. Pastor Peter, I'm open to this God thing, but I, I wanna consider a few things first. If that's you, then check the C box. C stands for I wanna consider a few things first. Um, and, and hey, honestly, I can respect that, okay? I was a skeptic for many years. I always wanted to have a church where people could explore their doubts. And if you're not there yet, that's okay. But at least consider it. If that's you, check the C box. And D stands for I don't ever plan on making this decision. Uh, this is not something you're open to. Now that box always kind of freaks me out a little bit, but hey, if that's where you're at, then I just encourage you, just have the guts to, to check that box. And, and for the next 20 seconds, just quickly fill this out. I promise you, um, we're not gonna spam you. We're not gonna stalk you. Um, we just wanna get some of your feedback. And then when the buckets are passed in just a minute or two, you can drop it in the bucket or you can just press the submit button if you're watching online. But with all that said, just wherever you're at, after you just fill that out, would you bow your heads and just close your eyes? Let's just end with just a moment of, of surrender. God, you see everybody in this room. You see where we're at. You see our skepticisms. You see uh, uh, our faith. And, and I, I really believe that you want to reveal yourself to us in a new way. I pray that you would show up in a profound way right here, right now, on Resurrection Sunday, Lord, that we would experience your truth, your power, your life and that it would change us. And church, if you're agreeing with what I'm praying, let's all just pray out a simple little repeat after me prayer as a, as a rededication between ourselves and God. Just say this after me. Say, dear Father, forgive me of my sin. Take over my life and fill me with joy starting today and for the rest of my life. And if you mean that prayer, just say, in Jesus' name name. Amen. I believe God is doing something powerful in your life today. With all that said, we're going to have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're going to go next. We're going to do one more song of worship.
before we dismiss. But with all that said, campus pastors, come on up.